From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We, the podcast where top business leaders and founders reveal how they build their companies to be high impact and high growth by putting We First. I'm Simon Mannering, and today my guest is Andre Cherney, the co-founder and CEO of Aspiration, a truly disruptive financial services company that turns every transaction into a positive action. Andre, welcome to Lead with We. Thank you for having me. Andre, I've got to ask you, you know, we've known each other a while, but I've never had the chance to ask, what led you to launch a financial services firm, especially of this nature? Because you've got a really interesting background. You know, you've been a chair of the sort of Arizona Democratic Party. You've been a speechwriter for, for John Kerry. You, you were in the Navy Reserve. Give us a little bit of a sense of the journey that led to that point that you decided, I want to launch a financial services company. You know, I never reached the point of saying I wanted to launch a financial services company. Uh, as we sometimes say at Aspiration, we didn't set out to build a bank. We set out to build a better world. And in thinking on how to do that, so much of it came back to that old adage of follow the money. And as you said, I didn't spend my career in, in banking or, or financial services before starting Aspiration, but did spend... 15 or so years before we started Aspiration, working on issues like climate change, like economic opportunity, like financial fairness uh, for, for families in a wide variety of different capacities and started out working in the in the White House in the 1990s for, for Bill Clinton and Al Gore on dealing with a lot of economic issues and, and dealing with the issue of what we were calling then global warming and, and working with, uh, with Al Gore at a time where that issue was uh, definitely not in the mainstream long, long before it was cool. And right. seeing him wage this campaign and a lonely campaign to raise awareness around why people should care about the CO2 levels in Antarctica. And, right. and so really believed that we needed action when it came to the climate. I was a financial fraud prosecutor and saw up close the, the kinds of challenges people were facing in their financial lives, worked with then law professor Elizabeth Warren on on the idea for what eventually became the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And and from those experiences, plus experiences in the private sector, really very much believed that there was not just a room for, but an enormous need for a financial institution that put its customers first, that put their conscience first, and that allowed them to make a positive impact both for themselves and their families, but also for the world around them. Really interesting. So you you literally did follow the money. You were going to the root cause of what was effectively the largest obstacle to these solutions. Is that correct? Ultimately, ultimately, when you think about the big challenges we face, so much of it comes back to our financial institutions and people's individual financial lives. Uh, that that bank account that you're using, that that credit card or debit card they're using, is at the core of uh, of your financial life. And you think of an issue like climate change. Of course, it matters what happens in Washington, D.C. Of course, it matters whether we're part of the Paris Accords or, or not. But J.P. Morgan spends more in terms of financing of, of fossil fuel exploration and exploitation on an annual basis than the combined market capitalization of ExxonMobil and BP combined. That's what matters. We have we have enormous powers as citizens to change the course of, of our country and, and 
And I think we saw that happen uh, in the past few months. But American consumers spend $36 billion a day. And where they spend that money and how they spend that money and the decisions that drive them to do so matters a great deal too. And those are enormous levers for, for change and impact. Yeah, the good news is that shopping is becoming a political act, especially as these younger people come through and they realize, you know, that every dollar is a vote. That's right. You know, in terms of their future. So how did you begin the company? Like, how did, how was it birthed? What was its first sort of iteration? You know, it, it really started with uh, a set of conversations with myself and and, uh, and my co-founder, uh, Joe Sandberg. Um, and, and he and I had known each other and been friends for, for many years. And, uh, and he was... Uh, he had been successful uh, in in New York, working on Wall Street, and was investing in uh, in, in startups. And really, we had a, a just ongoing set of conversations around what would happen if you actually built a financial institution on the foundations of trust, on the foundations of conscience. And, and those ongoing conversations, we would we would meet at a hotel in uh, L.A. and and sit in, hang out in the lobby or go for long walks and. And eventually one thing led to another and we started ourselves and started building out a team and, and started exploring the ways in which something like this could be brought to life and, and ended up, of course, on so many dead ends and and, uh, and, and paths that, that didn't lead anywhere, but eventually came to some real basic beliefs on, on, on a, a different kind of financial institution and the kind of role that could play. But, um, you know, we, we, our, our fee structure from, from day one is, has been pay what is fair customer decides what to pay us. And if they want to pay us zero, they can pay us zero and get treated the same as, as any other customer. And as you might imagine, when we started going out and, and meeting with investors and saying, okay, we're going to build a financial institution based on impact and conscience and sustainability. We're going to let people pay whatever they want, even if it's zero. We're going to uh, give 10% of what we earn towards charity. It, it, it made for some pretty lo- pretty short, <laughs> short, yeah, short conversations. conversations. Yeah. They're like, yeah, good luck with that. And when you're done, come back and we'll tell you how to get <laughs> exactly. it. You exactly. You know what to do. But And let's draw a distinction here because, you know, you're talking about a financial services company as opposed to a bank. Yet, you know, I live in California and I've seen a lot of your ads on television and so on. And my experience of it is, oh, this is an alternative bank in a sense, a bank that has got contribution fundamentally built into its business model. So help us understand the the difference between a normal bank and what you're doing. It's different in a lot of respects. Um, most basically, we're not chartered as a, as a bank um, in terms of the regulatory sense. Uh, it's it's actually a cash management account, but it has all the same features as as a bank, FDIC insured, debit cards, paper checks, and, and and so on. But what really makes us different and unique is the way we think about what we're doing, which is uh, the role of how you make your money have a positive impact on your life and on the lives of those around you. I think that's a really important distinction because more often these days, I'm hearing people really reframe business as a tool to drive change, as opposed to, you know, a way to just make money. And in a similar way, you're saying, well, in a sense, a bank or a financial institution aggregates all of this money. How can that be put to work to drive change, as opposed to just make more money at the cost of everything else that's worth more than money, in a sense? Yes. But I even go a step further, which is, we believe just as we say to our customers, this is a place where you can do well and do good. We've been successful as a business, not in spite of the ways in which we put sustainability first and put impact first and allow our customers to 
be able to put their values into action, but because of it. And we've been more successful because of that. And, and so that was actually part of our thinking in starting the business too, was there's a lot of businesses that I very much admire. And, and Simon, you, you, you know so many of these businesses as well that say, we're going to do X and then also bolt on impact, bolt on some do good. We're going to do X and then we're, for each one of them, we're going to give away something else as yeah, it's well. an afterthought almost or a siloed off. Yeah. And look, I, and I think, I, I actually think it's great. I, I, I'm a huge fan of those businesses. Many of them are, are partners with us. I, I'm so glad that they're thinking about that. What we wanted to do was something different, which is to actually build impact into the DNA of what we're offering, which is just by the very use of our products, by the very uh, activity that our customers have with us, they're making a positive impact and they're doing good. Uh, not as an ancillary benefit, but something where that is woven into our fundamental DNA. Give people a sense, give the listeners a sense of, you know, the opportunities you provide for people who put their money with you, you know, planting trees and so on. Help us understand that side of it, but then also the accountability you bring to it. Yeah, absolutely. When you deposit your money with Aspiration, your deposits are fossil fuel free, firearm free, as opposed to any of the top 20, 30 banks where most people are, are banking and, and whether they know it or not, their deposits are being used to fund oil and gas pipelines, as we talked about, or, or gun manufacturers. Uh, we have something called the Aspiration Impact Measurement that shows you your own personal sustainability score as you're shopping, as you're spending. As Is that you on the website, a, in your app? In, you in the app. It? Yeah, right. in the app. And, and so, you know, as you, as you said, people are voting with their dollars. And, and so you're able to see, in effect, a, a Fitbit for sustainability. We have something called planet protection that that allows you to make all of your driving carbon neutral. So whenever you're uh, spending money on that aspiration card, we're automatically calculating the amount of offsets necessary to get rid of the carbon impact of that gas leak without you having to think about it. A automated impact built in. A and we have things like planter change, which you mentioned, which has been enormously popular, just launched in, in, in 2020. And what that allows you to do is to plant a tree with every purchase you make by simply using the spare change of those purchases, rounding up to the nearest dollar, and whatever the amount of spare change, whether it's it's a nickel or whether it's 25 cents or 50 cents, each time you're planting a tree, and we've collectively at Aspiration planted now over 5 million trees uh, just in the course of, of, of a part of 2020, we're now planting more trees a day than there are in Central Park in New York. And, and that just shows the scale and, and, and we're just getting started. These are such powerful lessons for every business leader listening to this because one, you know, your business model should, make, should build in contribution, positive impact into your lifestyle, not as an add-on, but as just something that's woven into the daily fabric of your life. I mean, these are just the building blocks of businesses that are really going to transform the future. You must have had, you know, from a business model point of view, from a business practices point of view, some pushback. Did some of the big banks come along and say, hey, like steady on there and sort of run defense against you? Did you, you know, face any obstacles you didn't expect? So, so, so many <laughs> along the way, uh, whether it was from in incumbents in the space, e even to just the very nature of the financial industry being a very regulated industry. You know, we, we uh, I mentioned our pay what is fair model which we thought is is just as customer friendly as possible. If, if you think we deserve to be paid zero, pay us zero. 
Right. You'll get treated the same as anybody else. And we took that, for instance, for our Aspiration Redwood Fund, which is our um, our sustainable investment fund, uh, which is both fossil fuel free, but also invests in companies that have strong ESG practices that are good and better than their competitors when it comes to how they treat their employees and the environment and diversity and governance. And we went to bring that investment fund to market with a pay what is fair structure. When it came time to get that through the regulators, they said, oh my goodness, what are, what are you doing? It, it literally did not fit into their box. They're, they have a box on a prospectus of a mutual fund that shows what the fees are. And, and, and so these kinds of challenges that we faced early on and continued to face in really trying to innovate in not only an industry where you have very entrenched incumbents, but one where uh, they're often using regulation as a weapon against sure. uh, against new uh, entrepreneurs and, and competitors. You know, that stranglehold that many kind of monopolies or duopolies have on industries is there for a reason, and they want to protect their interests, and, and that's based on certain business models and practices. A- absolutely. And speaking of obstacles, I mean, did you self-fund it in the first place, or was it hard to raise capital for the very same reasons you just mentioned? You know, we were very fortunate that uh, that my co-founder uh, Joe, Joe Sandberg was was investing in startups and, and was willing and excited to to uh, to fund us uh, initially. And we worked out of his office, and uh, and he's continued to be a, a large part of of the business. Um, but to your question, as we went out to raise other capital, uh, it, it was a, a real slog. And, and and as we talked about, a, a lot of doors <laughs> slammed in our face. But then there was people who really believed and who really saw what we were doing. And one of those was somebody, a name you, you might be familiar, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with this, and many of your listeners would be Jeff Skoll, mm-hmm. uh, who was co-founder of of eBay and first president there and, and has been very involved. The, in the wonderful social, Skoll, Skoll Foundation, which is amazing. The Skoll Foundation yeah. and, and social impact and has been a real pioneer there we met with him for, for lunch in, in, in Los Angeles and we were telling him all about the company and said, Here, here's this company. We're going to let people pay zero if they want. We're going to build things around sustainability. And, and, and he has his own very um, gentle style. And, and he does. Yes. He nodded and said, yeah, I think it's going to work. And I said, maybe, maybe you didn't hear us. We're yeah, going to let, let people pay zero. Did, like, did me... we tell you about this? Right. And, and he said, no, 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 I, I heard you. And I think it's going to work. And, and what he said was, Every decade or so, there's businesses that come along that take a big bet on trust. And he said that's what made eBay successful early on. They had all these competitors back in the 1990s, early days of the internet, that had these complicated escrow systems. And and eBay was successful because they said, no, you're just going to have to believe that you're going to be sending money to somebody on the internet, and they are actually going to send you the baseball card or Beanie Baby that you bought. And, and that was considered crazy at the time. Or the shared economy. You're going to go and stay in someone else's apartment that you've never met. Yeah, and that was the other point he made. Yeah, it, it, it stay in a, in a stranger's apartment in a foreign country. Right. Get into a stranger's car. Right. Exactly the things your mom told you never to do. Sure, right. And incredibly successful. And he said, similarly, you guys are taking a big bet on trust. You're betting that people are going to be as good as they're hoping you're going to be to them. And, and it's worked. You know, the, the business model turns on the integrity of your intent and your actions as aspiration. And so let me ask you this. I mean, there's so much urgency around so many issues, in which case the challenge becomes how do we, even though it's incredibly powerful to be able to make these changes with your whole lifestyle, 
how do we get more people to do it more often in more ways? So my question is with the app, I mean, are you gamifying things? Are you encouraging people to compete? Are they being incentivized to share it with others? Uh, all of the above, you know, first of all, it's by making it easy, as you said, it's by automating it. Uh, look, there's only so many people who are going to go to a tree planting website who are going to go to uh, the Arbor Day Foundation or, or wherever else and, and make a donation to plant a tree. But there's a lot of people who will say, yeah, if you make it easy and you build it into my daily habits and, and it, when I go buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks or I go buy uh, lunch at uh, Chipotle and, and I don't even have to think about it, I'm pl I've planted a tree every single one of those times. That makes it easy. It, it makes it affordable. It, it, it automates it. That has a big impact. But then it's also about giving people um, ways in which they get excited about that process. So things like the aspiration impact measurement and that score, right? The same way that a lot of people say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go do those 10,000 steps a day uh, right. because my, my, my Fitbit tells me to, or maybe in, in this day and age of, of, of COVID, we try to hit a thousand steps. A, a thousand day. steps inside going upstairs. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Right. But, um, but so, so seeing that score gives people an impetus for, for the planter change. We have something called the tree monitor, right? And that shows you how far you've gone and, and, and how far you have to get to the next level. And so we have clusters and groves and, and we actually offer cash back. Uh, once you hit 30 trees and a cluster, once you hit these different thresholds, we're going to pay you and incentivize you to, to keep on doing it and keep on doing more. And, and so that, that just even that little reward of saying, you know what, I, I hit that next level gets people going and gets people continuing to be committed to what they're about. I have a question which is really around tone. I mean, you talked about working with Al Gore on climate crisis and John Kerry and so on, you know, how you tell that story is critical. And for a long time, the narrative around climate change and all the things that fall out of it have been, you know, more about the stick, you know, the urgency, the alarm bells being rung. But, you know, there are various thought leaders out there that have really discovered in their research that that tends to lead to apathy or people being passive. They feel disheartened. It's almost too much for them. So how did you go about framing your story in a way so that people listened and that you actually got them to engage and share it with others? Look, so you, you said it, that you, it's easy to look around at the world we live in and crouch down. And the opposite of that, though, is, is the idea that each of us can make a difference. Uh, and each of us individually isn't going to change the world. You signing up at Plant Your Change to start planting trees with every purchase, that, that's not going to change the world. But you know what? If, if you do that, and you do that for a year, you've eliminated your carbon footprint. And that's one. That's one person. And if you get a couple of friends of yours to do it, that's that's two, three, four people. And we've seen that already with Aspiration. You know, we just launched Planter Change uh, in, in 2020. And I said the amount of trees we, we, we planted. And when I say we, I, I mean we. I mean our our community. Uh, not, not just we, the company. Because it's our community that's doing it. The amount of carbon impact of the trees we've planted, of, of moving dollars to fossil fuel-free banking, of, of planet protection and, and, and getting rid of your carbon impact. In 2020, the carbon impact there was the equivalent of taking every car in the state of Utah off the road. Now, look, Utah is not California. It's not the biggest state. It's not China. But you know what? Like That's where you start. And the idea is 
the worst thing you can do is is not do anything and believe that if you if you can't do everything you have to do nothing that's where you mentioned Al Gore and, and the challenge in the 1990s was it, it felt so big and it felt so far off that we didn't do anything about it until it got later and later and later. And, you know, coming out of the gate, you know, you're at a point of momentum now and so on. But how did you get that first sort of cohort of believers? You know, how did you kind of get enough momentum to know that it was viable in the first place? What this is back in 2013? Founded the company in 2013 and, and, and launched publicly end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And the surprising thing was for us was, in fact, not how hard it was at first, but how excited people got uh, about it. So it was, it was one of the, the lessons learned. Our, we had our, our first investment fund. It was designed to be more of an add-on, uh, an add-on fund. And our first banking product was designed to be more of a, of a secondary account. And we were getting these calls. Okay, great. I'm, I'm ready to sign up and I'm moving everything from, from Wells Fargo. I'm shutting down that account and moving our aspiration. We, we, we weren't even ready for that. So you know, I think what we saw was a level of just excitement about the ability to align your money and your morals that was way in excess of anything we really envisioned from day one. I find it that's so encouraging because, I mean, one of the things I deeply believe is that all of these needs out in the marketplace that really are a function of these long-standing industries that have been doing the same thing for a long time that has caused a lot of harm, those marketplace needs now are huge opportunities in their own right. And all you've got to do is step into them and you'll discover, as you found, this just pent up appetite of, you know, customers who've just been looking to feel better about how they're living their lives, what they do, who they support, what companies they enable. And let me ask you, you know, you hear about a lot of shifts underway. There's Larry Fink at BlackRock, who has talked about a fundamental restructuring of the capital markets in the face of climate crisis. Are you seeing the industry is starting to change, perhaps driven by younger demographics that want their dollars to work for their future? You know, the truth is I, I'm not yet. Uh, I'm not yet seeing that. Uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of rhetoric uh, from some of these big big banks and, and, and Wall Street, but, but not yet the real change. And it's hard for them to change. Look, they make a lot of money on, on lending to the oil and gas industry. Um, it's hard for them to say we're going to be the place that's going to enable you to to fight against climate change by using your account when when a big portion of the country doesn't believe that climate change is even a real thing and 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 we hear it we we get emails every day of people uh saying oh you know my my family works in the oil business you're trying to put us out of out of work or or uh or so on and and but we believe it you know that we're a place that is going to be about taking a stand and and for these big institutions, it's it's really hard for them to to put all their eggs in that in that one basket. And when they do, it's not really authentic. What do you think needs to happen for the industry more broadly to really take responsibility? I mean, you know, there's regulatory issues and policies that are needed to support it. There's the investor class. There's consumers out there. What's the missing piece of the puzzle? Or would you say? We're actually starting to see this coalition of stakeholders come together and we're, we're headed for a sort of a renaissance of the industry. What would you say? Look, I, I, I've, I've always said that I will know that we've gotten to the point where I would call aspiration successful when we are so large and have so many customers and, and, and have such a large presence that we exert a gravitational pull on the rest of the financial industry and, and force them to change 
to change their ways. And, and you know, look, we've, we've come a long way and, and, and we've had millions of people who've, who've joined um, our, our crusade in our community thus far, but, but we still got a long ways to go. And, and the mindset that keeps you going through all of this, you know, I think every, um, everyone who starts a business faces these obstacles and there's these sort of false summits and, that you've got to work through. Are there any sort of key insights or thoughts that you share with yourself to keep going when you're taking on such a sort of, you know, an indentured industry? You know, I, I was uh, inter- interviewing a potential candidate for, for one of the jobs and, and, and she asked me, after, after this many years, you've now been at this six, seven years what gets you out of bed in the morning uh, to to do it? And and I reflect on it for a second, and I said, you know what? When I wake up, I I like many of us probably pick up my phone and I and I look at the news and I look at the Twitter feed and I look at everything that's happened and I look at uh, what's happening in Washington D.C. and what's happening in other parts of the world and and it's actually only aspiration that does get me out of bed because if it were not for aspiration, I'd be staying in bed as opposed to the other way around. Um, and that's what keeps me going is because we have to deliver. We can't get this wrong. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I and I think, you know, aspiration is an expression of a reframing of the role of money in our lives. What role should it play? How do you think about the role of money moving forward? What would you encourage us to think as we kind of plan our own lives, plan our own businesses, plan the daily choices that we make? How should we think about money? Yeah, I would, I'd say that it's important to realize you do have a choice and important to realize that y- your money speaks with a voice. Uh, it's it's not neutral. Money is what pays for uh, oil drilling and it's what pays for a, a solar panel. We have a choice every day. We have a choice in in where we spend our money, in what we purchase, in where we bank. And What's important is to realize not only do we have a choice, but we have to make a choice. Because just saying I'm going to deposit my money in that Wells Fargo uh, ATM and it's going to go sit there is it, 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 making a choice. It's saying I'm okay with my own dollars being used to fund the destruction of the planet. It's it's saying I'm okay with my dollars being used in all kinds of other ways that go against who I am and what I believe in. We get to make that choice, and we have to make that choice. Andre, thank you so much for the insights today and also for the disruption that Aspiration is leading and the way that it empowers each of us to make money work in truly more meaningful ways in our own lives. So thank you so much for joining us today and just really, really appreciate the insights. Well, thank you. And, and thanks for all your leadership in this space and, and, and telling so many of these powerful stories. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Lead With We, where I spoke with Andre Cherney, who's the co-founder and CEO of Aspiration, who shared with us how he built a financial services company that ensures every dollar does good, and how to inspire, engage, and incentivize customers to join and take action. And finally, how together we can scale and accelerate our impact to better our future. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And please recommend it to your friends and colleagues so they too can build a purposeful and profitable business. If you'd like to learn more about how you can build a purposeful brand, check out wefirstbranding.com, where we have lots of free resources and case studies. Thanks for joining us, and let's all Lead With We.